Let me start with a question. Assuming there's an all-knowing, all-powerful creator God over all the universe, would it make sense for us to try and manipulate him? To try and convince God to do what you wanted instead of what he wanted? To bargain with God or try to force his hand or back him into a corner to get him to come onto your agenda? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. But I think the way a lot of us approach faith, and I'm including myself in this, that's exactly what we do, and we don't even know it. Well, my name's Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian Church, and I'm so glad that you joined in for this conversation today. In fact, if you hear or experience anything during our time together that you just wanna talk about, or maybe you have a question, or you just want someone to pray for you, well, there's a number on your screen right now where you can reach out and send me a text, and if you do, I'll respond to you. Now today, I wanna to tell you the story of a guy and you're immediately gonna know his name, but it's not because you know anybody who's ever been named after him. In fact, you ever noticed how some parents like to name their sons after a person in the Bible? Like Matthew, Luke, Paul, or even Isaiah or Jacob. Well, nobody names their son after this guy because his name, well, it's become equal with being a villain. I'm talking about Judas. And as soon as you heard his name, you immediately thought, bad guy, right? See, Judas is now used as an insult to describe someone who will just stab you in the back. Judas was the betrayer. He was the one who suddenly decided to switch sides and join forces with the ones who were after Jesus to kill him. Now, he was part of Jesus's inner circle. I mean, no one got closer to Jesus. Judas wasn't just hanging around on the outer fringes of the group. He was a highly trusted follower of Jesus. Now we know this is true because Judas was given the task of looking after the money. You don't assign that job to someone that you think is untrustworthy. And my point is, Judas' story didn't start out the way that it ended. But the one fatal flaw that did Judas in was this. Judas was in the game for his own sake. He wasn't there for Jesus or some sense of loyalty. In fact, Judas believed that Jesus was king. He was the Messiah, the one that had been foretold would come from God to set the Jewish people free. And Judas believed that whoever got closest to Jesus, they were gonna eventually win in the end. But now let's be a little bit fair to Judas. That's exactly what the other disciples thought too. They were all in it for themselves in the beginning. I mean, they saw following Jesus as a way to get something out of it for themselves. For example, one of Jesus' followers, his name was Peter. He speaks up for the whole group one time, which he pretty often did. And he says this, he says, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we gonna get? That's pretty bold, don't you think? There was another time that they're all walking together and Jesus overhears some of them having a conversation and he listens in and he finds out, well, they're arguing, but they're not arguing about who's gonna get to heal the next sick person. No, they're having an argument about when the time comes and Jesus sets up his kingdom, which one of them's gonna to get to be Jesus's right-hand guy? They're actually having an argument about who was the greatest. So you see, Judas, he's not the only disciple who was in it for himself. But here's the difference. Eventually, all the original followers of Jesus were able to lay down their agendas and even lay down their lives to follow Jesus. All of them would eventually say, okay, Jesus, this, this doesn't have to be done on my terms. It doesn't matter if there's something in it for me. 
because this is not about me anymore. I'm going to follow you regardless. All of them said that, except for Judas. See, for Judas, it was always about what's in it for him. He's always looking for the angle. He's always bargaining, dealing. How can I get Jesus to play by my rules, to do what I want him to do? And that's what most of us think we want out of God, isn't it? I mean, I want a God who'll do things my way. But in the end, when we're honest, we all just come to realize a God who's like me, that's not what's best for the world. It's not even what's best for me. Because I don't know about you, but I've tried to be the master of my own destiny. That didn't turn out so well. Because see, in the end, we want a God who's bigger than that, who's higher than that, who's greater than that. We want the kind of God revealed to us in Jesus. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. Father, Spirit, Son, Lion, 
sang in that song, maybe that's comforting to you, but maybe it's not. Maybe it brings up a lot of problems and questions for you. Well, whatever your thoughts are, I'd really love to hear them. In fact, you can text me at that number right now on the screen. You can just tell me your story. But now let's get back to the story of Judas. Judas knew that in order for Jesus to be a king, he had to get rid of the Romans because they were the ones in charge at the time. But Judas started noticing Jesus was doing these odd things. First of all, he didn't hate the Romans quite as much as Judas did. Also to be a king, you had to gather a big crowd. But Jesus kept doing this odd thing. Jesus would teach things that turned people off and they'd just leave. Jesus wasn't really all that into raising lots of money. He wasn't concerned about getting all the religious leaders on his side. In fact, he kept just making them madder and madder at him. And every time, one of those things would happen. Judas would get more and more frustrated with Jesus because, well, Jesus wasn't playing by his script. Jesus wasn't following Judas's agenda. And it was starting to look like it wasn't gonna turn out all that great for Judas. He's not gonna get anything out of this. And then finally, there's this moment and it becomes the final straw for Judas. And when you read the story, it doesn't seem all that consequential, but for Judas, well, this was the moment. He just had it. And it was enough to drive Judas to turn to Jesus' enemies and get what he wanted. It's written in two of the biographies of Jesus in your Bible, the ones written by Matthew and John. Now, they were both eyewitnesses of what happened, but they both give us different details. So we're gonna read parts from both of their accounts. Now, this one's from Matthew's book in chapter 26. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume, and she poured it over his head. 
Now we learn in John's account that this perfume was worth an entire year's wages. Now you think about how much the average person makes in a year. This is pretty extravagant what she's doing. And she pours it on Jesus' head, which is kind of odd in our culture, but in theirs, it's a meaningful thing. It was medicinal, it's very relaxing. It's an extremely high compliment what she's doing for Jesus. So the disciples, well, they're indignant. They saw it and they said, what a waste. This could have been sold for a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. So you can see there's this moment of high emotion in the room right now. But in John's account, he tells us that it wasn't just the disciples who were mad about this. In fact, look what John wrote. Judas, the disciple who would betray Jesus, he said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. We should have sold it. We should have given the money to the poor. Note this note that he puts in there. Not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief. Since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. See, here we learn something that I already told you about Judas. From day one, Judas was only concerned with his own agenda. From the very beginning, Judas was constantly leveraging Jesus for his own purposes. And he just saw this as an opportunity to get what he wanted. And he got himself close to the one that he thought could get it for him. He even got himself into the bank account to make sure he got what he wanted. I mean, Judas is thinking, look, if this is the guy who's going to be king one day, I'm going to be right next to him so that when the time comes, I'll be set for life. But when Judas saw that Jesus was allowing all this stuff to happen, when he watched all that money just get poured on Jesus' head and run down onto the floor, he said to himself, I've had it. It's not going anywhere. This guy doesn't get it. There's no way we can seize power and have influence doing stupid things like this. I mean, what I came here for, it's never gonna happen. But now Jesus was aware of this. Watch what he says. He says, why are you criticizing this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. <laughs> now, wait, wait, Jesus, come on now. Why are you talking about burial? I mean, you're the king. You can't die. In fact, you're not even sick. You're the one going around healing sick people. You raise the dead. If you were sick or dying, couldn't you just sort of take care of that? I mean, Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Why are you talking like this? And evidently, that was all Judas needed to hear because watch what happens next. Then Judas went to the leading priest and he asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? Because look, I've been trying for three years to get something out of this guy. And this is not working out like I planned. And besides, this is not about Jesus anyway. It's about me. It's about Judas. This is about what I want and what I thought I was going to get by being close to him. So. I can't get what I want out of Jesus, I'll just go to the next set of powerful people. And a lot of us hear that and we think, how could someone do that? How could they, someone betray Jesus? How could someone be so close to the Son of God and turn on him like that? Well, I'll tell you how. See, when your agenda takes precedence over God's agenda, well, you've just set yourself up to betray what you know is right to get what you want whether it's your morality or in a relationship or your own integrity, when our agenda takes precedence over God's agenda, we set ourselves up to betray God. And that's where Judas is. When there's no longer anything in it for him, and he saw that 
this is not gonna go his way. Well, he switched sides. Because again, this wasn't about Jesus. It was all about Judas. And so they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And if you don't know the whole story here, this right here is the most amazing part. Jesus knows everything that's going on. Jesus knows what Judas has done, what he's getting ready to do. He knows Judas has been stealing money out of the bank account the whole time. Jesus knows he's already been sold out by one of his own. And knowing all of this, what do you think Jesus does next? Well, you'd think Jesus would stand up and point to Judas and say, there he is, there's the traitor, let's get him. But he doesn't. In fact, you wanna know what Jesus does? <laughs> He kneels down in front of Judas. He takes off his filthy sandals, off of his filthy traitor's feet, and he washes them. Jesus serves his own betrayer. He just kind of goes on as if nothing has even happened. And then later, while they're sitting around the table having their last meal together, I mean, this is just hours before Judas is gonna betray Jesus with a kiss. And in the middle of the meal, Jesus even predicts it. He says, look, there's one of you here who's about to betray me. And all the disciples start to look around and ask Jesus, Jesus, is it me? Are you talking about me? Even Judas says to Jesus, Lord, are you talking about me right now? And Jesus looks him right in the eye and he doesn't even stop him. He doesn't make a scene. Jesus just says, yeah, Judas, it's you. And what you're about to do, just go do it quickly. I'm not gonna stop you. I won't stand in your way because I can't be bargained with and I won't be manipulated. I know you haven't gotten what you came here for, Judas, but that's not gonna change the road I'm on. You can't sway me. So just go ahead and get it over with and I won't stop you. After that, you think, how could Judas still go out and do what he does? Well, the text doesn't really tell us exactly what Judas is thinking, but you kind of have to wonder. Maybe Judas started thinking, Boy, what a coward. What a weak, pathetic excuse for a king. I mean, come on, man, you're no Messiah. You're no leader. After knowing what I'm about to do, you're so weak and passive, you're just gonna sit there and let it happen? I can't believe I wasted three years of my life thinking you would take power. At least now I'm gonna have something to show for all my time and effort following you around. But here's the point you have to understand. The reason Jesus does nothing because Jesus doesn't deal. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't trade. Now, why doesn't he? Because Jesus is God and God is steadfast. God is unfailing. God is immovable, but God is also good. God is love. He's the kind of God we all truly need. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly.
your mercy never fails me all my days I've been held in your head from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head oh I will sing of the goodness of God The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For His unfailing love towards those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the West. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me I just love the words to that song. See, I can say for me personally, all my life, even in the most difficult times, God's been faithful. He's been so good to me. In fact, I'd love to hear stories of how God's been good to you. Just text me at that number if you'd like to share it. Well, let's get back to our story. See, Judas, he realizes that 
now Jesus is not only going to be captured, this whole thing is going to eventually lead to Jesus' death. And Judas probably thinks, well, if I at least get Jesus backed into a corner, maybe he'll finally come out swinging. He'll use all his power and all his influence, and he'll be forced to step up and take over, and I'll finally get what I hoped for all along. But Jesus wasn't that kind of king, and Jesus had other work that needed to be done. And Judas realizes not only is he not just going to be uh, not getting what he hoped for, he's now responsible for putting Jesus to death. And all that he has to show for it is just a sack full of blood money. Watch what happens next. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I've sinned, he declared. I've betrayed an innocent man. Notice what they said. They said to him, what do we care? That's your problem. Judas, this was your deal. This was your agenda. You set it up. You carried it out. And now, you're the one who carries the consequences. This is your responsibility. And then, here's what happened. Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and God struck him down with lightning. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Oh, and then Judas went out and got killed in a tragic head-on collision with a camel. No, that didn't happen either. What did happen? <laughs> Judas went out and hanged himself. There was no supernatural intervention. There was no revenge from God. In fact, God never even gets involved. Now why? Because see, even now, God's hand can't be forced. Now listen, there's a few things that you just really need to understand about God. If you ever find yourself coming to God with this kind of approach, where you're trying to make a deal, you're trying to bargain with God, or maybe you think that by something that you do or something that you don't do, you can get God to come over to your agenda. First of all, you have a very low view of God. I mean, God is God. He can't be bargained with. He can't be manipulated. You, you can't thwart God's will. But if you ever do that, if you ever say, God, I'm going to convince you. I'm going to get you to come over to my side. God, if I do this, then you have to do that. If you approach God that way, if you're making a deal with him, trying to compromise what you know is right to try to manipulate God to get onto your agenda, well, there are a few things that you just need to expect. In fact, you can take these to the bank. Number one, whatever you're going to do, just go ahead and do it. And God's probably not going to stop you. And for those of you who've ever watched someone that you love do this, go off the rails like this, it's really confusing because we often hope, well, there's going to be some kind of instant consequence. There'll be like a lightning bolt moment that'll stop them. Like if you're the parent of a teenager, you maybe have thought, honey, if you sneak out, if you go to that party against my will, watch out. You're going to have a wreck or you're going to get arrested and then you'll be sorry. And what happens? She sneaks out of the house, has the time of her life, and she wants to do it again. And you start thinking, God, where are you? <laughs> Why can't there be some kind of instant consequence for things like that? Now I'll tell you, there are exceptions to that. But generally speaking, God doesn't deal with us that way. So if you're planning on stepping outside of God's will because you think God's not behaving for you like you think he should, you know what God's going to probably say to you? What he said to Judas. Go ahead. Do it. I won't stop you because I don't make deals. 
I can't be manipulated. Now here's the other thing you need to remember. Number two, when you step out and do what you're gonna do at that point, you are responsible for the outcome of your journey. And now for a while, that may be okay with you. But I tell you, at some point, when you finally come around and you say, yeah, but I wasn't planning on that happening. You just need to hear the words that Judas heard. That's your problem. That's your responsibility. Because see, when you and I decide that our agenda takes precedence over God's, the consequences, the responsibility, it's on us. You're on your own then. But number three, eventually, you're gonna self-destruct. See, people who work for their own self-interest, people who work contrary to God, they all eventually self-destruct. And it's not because God strikes them down. I mean, that's not necessary. I mean, you and I, we don't need help to screw up our lives. We eventually hang ourselves. Because see, that's what happens when you live contrary to the will of God. And I meet people all the time, and that's their story. They say, it was a time in my life I didn't think God knew what he was talking about. I had better plans for my life. So I decided my way was better than God's way and I went out on my own. And God just let me go. And then it backfired on me. And now here I am and I'm responsible for the outcome of my life. And that leads me to number four. At the end of that journey, you're gonna wanna come back. But this time, you won't be bargaining. You won't be manipulating. You won't have an agenda to push. And you won't know better than God. This time, you have your hands up in the air saying, God, I surrender. Now, unfortunately, when you come back, you're gonna have some scars and some memories, maybe some you'll have for the rest of your life. Maybe some broken dreams, some busted up relationships, stuff that you can't ever completely fix. And that's really sad, but that's how life is. But you know what? When you do come back, here's the other thing about God. Your heavenly Father will take you back. He'll receive you, scars and all, because that's just the kind of God He is. Now, He doesn't erase all the consequences because well, He can't be manipulated, but He is a God of mercy, a God of grace, who will take us back, put us back on His path whenever we surrender and stop bargaining and pushing our own agenda of how we think it ought to go. See, there's a little Judas in all of us. I know there's, there's Judas in me. There's that thing in me that says my agenda is more important than God's. And a lot of times I work, I plan, I'll even pray to get God to do my will instead of His. And sometimes, well, actually a lot of the time, I'll abandon what I know is right just to get that done. And all the while, the best thing for me to do is to surrender to the God who loves me, who cares for me. So here's my question to you. Is that true of you too? Is your agenda taking precedence over God's right now? Have you decided that your way is better than His? And are you thinking that maybe it's time to just surrender and to trust Him and rest in His goodness and love for you? You know, if you text me at that number, I'd love to have a conversation about that. But while you're doing that, I wanna invite you to engage with this song that we sang just a little bit earlier. And now that you're familiar with the words, maybe you could even sing along. And wherever you are right now, you can make this moment your moment of surrender to your good, loving, heavenly Father.
Now let me tell you what I think is the most powerful part of the story that we've been looking at today. I don't want you to miss this. You know, if there was ever someone who had a reason to bargain or manipulate God, it was Jesus. See, right after Judas left that room to go out and betray Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He went to a garden, he knelt down, and he prayed to God. And he gave us the perfect picture of how we should approach God. Jesus said basically, Father, I see what your plan, your agenda is. You're asking me to go to the cross, to suffer, to die for the sins of the world. And I don't want that. I don't want to go through that. God, if there's any other way we can do this, I'm asking you, do it another way. Let me take another path. Now, God, that's what I want. But at the end of the day, I'm okay with whatever you choose. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm surrendered to your plan, your path, your agenda. And I won't try to bargain with you. I won't sell you. I'm not gonna manipulate you because you are God. And I surrender to you. And because Jesus surrendered and he went to that cross, you and I get to enjoy eternal life together with God. And every week when we come together, we remember that moment in history by taking the elements of communion. Now, if you'd like to join me today in taking communion, I want you to go ahead and get something to eat and to drink that can represent the body and the blood of Jesus. Today, I've got a piece of cracker and some juice here, but you know, anything you have on hand will just do fine. Or if you're not sure about this, you don't have to participate. You can just watch and listen. But this is the body of Jesus. And he gave his life willingly to show us how much God loves us and longs to be with us. Let's eat and remember together. And this is the blood of Jesus poured out for us. God no longer counts our sins against us. We've been forgiven. We have a new eternal life with God. Let's drink and remember. Now let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for surrendering to the will of God. And God, thank you for your goodness that we've sang about today. May that sacrifice remind us that you love us and that we can trust you. And it would lead us to surrender to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we wrap up our time together today, I just wanna remind you of really the best part about surrendering to God. When you surrender your will to God and you begin to fully trust him like we talked about today, at that moment, you are no longer responsible for the outcome of your journey. The outcome is God's responsibility. See, we spend so much time worrying and trying to manage outcomes in life, but when you're surrendered to God, you can live this peace-filled, worry-free life because you no longer have to worry about outcomes because now that's God's job. And isn't that what all of us want? <laughs> I know that's what I want. Now, if you wanna talk about that, or ask a question about anything that you've seen or heard today. Maybe you need someone to pray for you, or maybe you've just been watching and you just wanna let us know that you're out there. 
whatever the reason, please reach out to me at the number on the screen. I look forward to hearing from you. And I hope you'll join us right here next week as we continue our conversation about faith. I love you guys. Have a great week.